Let me ask you to turn in your scriptures to Matthew chapter 5. Now each year we pick a verse of the year, and you have received that in your worship guide. Now let me encourage you to uh, not leave it in the pew, to take it home. You can pick up extras at uh, the entrances and uh, put it somewhere where you can memorize it. Uh, That's our desire with our verse of the year. It's something that we're going to focus on uh, throughout the year. And uh, I encourage you to think on it, put it somewhere where you will see it, whether it's in your car or on the refrigerator, that's all of us will see it there, or, uh, in, uh, you know, where you shave or whatever it is, uh, so that you can uh, think on this on a regular basis. Uh, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And that's our desire, that that be our our focus as a congregation uh, this next year. What a wonderful thing to be called to be the light to a community. We have just uh, talked throughout Christmas about uh, how the light came into the world. We have just sung of it. And, uh, and, And now here's the next step that we are then called to be that next step. Now, I'm, what I want to do is to, uh, for the scripture reading today, is to read basically the context of our verse of the year. And back in fall of 2011, I preached a series of messages on uh, this passage, particularly on the blesseds, uh, on all of those. But those lead right into this calling that we have, this identity that we have as uh, the people of God. So uh, let's give our attention in uh, Matthew 5, and this was uh, Jesus, really his first sermon. It says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, and blessed are those who who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its taste... How shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. 
A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we do rejoice in that great salvation that you brought, you sent, you provided for, for us. And now, Lord, as we ponder this verse and these verses surrounding it, there's simply no way for us to understand it or to apply it unless your Spirit does that very thing. It's a hopeless task. And yet, Lord, that's our desire, to know you better, to love you more, to serve you better. Will you do that work among us even today? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, some of you know that uh, we took a little trip uh, over Christmas to uh, St. Louis, and in the past, uh, we flew this time, but in in the past, typically we would uh, drive in to St. Louis and uh, drive over a bridge that if you've ever been there and been going kind of into the middle of town, you might have crossed over the Eads bridge. Uh, If you passed over it, there's nothing particularly unique about it, but it does have a a unique history. It was actually built beginning shortly after the the Civil War. Uh, It took about seven years to build. It was completed in 1874, and especially for uh, the railroad to get across. There weren't any bridges there at the time, and so you can imagine that when the railroad, you know, would get to the Mississippi River, and they literally would have to uh, take one car at a time on a barge across the river, and then uh, hook it all back up and let the train start going again. So you can imagine how important uh, of a task that was. Um, Eads, uh, Jonathan Eads, uh, wanted to be the one to build it. He said, it, it needs to be done, and I need to be the one to build it. And he presented uh, a plan that was unlike the plans of the others. Uh, there were some very highly qualified uh, bridge builders that submitted their plans. Typically in that day, they would use uh, an iron truss system or a suspension system. And he presented a plan uh, that to some degree was uh, not tried on that great of a span, but it was just to be an arch system with three long arches uh, across the river and uh, be an arched bridge in that way. 
I told you there were others that applied for it that were uh, qualified. Eads himself was eminently unqualified to be the, the one in charge of this huge project. Uh, his resume basically was, I've never built a bridge. Uh, I've uh, been a, a river boatman. In other words, I've floated on top of the water. I've done some underwater recovery, and I've been, uh, you know, a deckhand on bridges, and uh, somehow, he didn't have an engineering degree, somehow he was chosen. And we still drive across that bridge, amazingly enough. Now, the idea of a bridge, we're going we're gonna to talk about that partially today because in essence, we are the bridge to our community. Now, for you English people, I mean like English teachers and so on, let me just tell you right up front, we are going to have an extended mixed metaphor today. We're going to use light and bridges, okay? So I just want to let you know, I know I'm doing that. And, uh, you know, it probably wouldn't have bothered most of us, but I know those that uh, understand their, their grammar and writing and so on, sometimes those things uh, can get under your skin. I don't want that to be a, a distraction today. But let's, uh, let's start out by looking at this whole idea of the, in our verse of the year, of the nature of the light. Now, if you have your outline, you, you see what I put there, the nature of the light, I put which we are. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. So what is the light which we are? The reason I point out the outline, I know for some of you, you find it helpful. Others of you don't use it. That's fine. It, that doesn't bother me. However you learn and retain the best is uh, uh, what I want you to do. But uh, as I was preparing and deciding what to put in the outline, I almost put uh, the nature of the light which we bear. And then as I looked at it, I realized theologically that's, that wouldn't have been accurate. That wouldn't have been faithful to the text here. Uh, we are not just bearers of the light. Look what it says. You are the light of the world. You are a scatterer of darkness. Now, he's talking to those who are followers of Christ. Light and darkness can't coexist. They just simply can't. So Jesus is giving us our identity. And, and there are a number of things it says in the New Testament in terms of what the believer is. This is, this is what he says right up front. You are the light of the world. Now, what he's done is he's taken a metaphor that they would all understand. Um, basically, those people that were following him would have uh, thought in terms of the, the little lamp with, uh, that they would put in the middle of uh, a room in a prominent place, and they'd put a little bit of oil in it, some kind of a, a wick, and... 
and that would burn, and that would be what they got their light from. And they would understand that. Now, I want to make a distinction here because we know that Jesus is the light, right? He makes that clear. So, okay, who is the light then? Well, that's why the context is important. When Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, he that follows me shall not walk in darkness. In essence, he's comparing himself to the sun, the source of the light. When he says, you are the light of the world, he's comparing it to a lamp, as you see in the context. So it's not actually the ultimate source. It's something that needs to be lit, something that needs to be put into uh, practice before it uh, has any use. And that's the, that's the distinction there. So what kind of a light are we? What, in terms of the Scripture, what kinds of things uh, does the, the light attain to? What, you know, what are the illustrations in the Scripture about the light? Well, light is truth. We live in a day where truth is uh, considered to be relative. If, if you talk with folks nowadays, you, you, you know, when, when you talk about the Scripture, commonly what they will say back to you is, well, that's fine for you. If that's true for you, then that's good. I'm glad for you but it's not truth for me. And, and so we as the light, we ultimately have to say, look, there's truth, there is truth, there's absolute truth, and we've got to stick with that. We can't give in to say, okay, well, it's, it, it's good for me, and I think it could be true for you. It, it is ultimate truth. The Word of God absolutely is the truth. And that, that as Uh, believers in Christ, followers of Christ, is a light to this world that there is absolute truth. Light is purity in terms of the Scripture, in terms of, uh, in a world that is just absolutely searching for some kind of consistency out there, where we see so so much inconsistency and so, so much hypocrisy in lives. This is the opportunity in terms of believers. It's purity. Let me, let me read you a couple of quotes uh, in terms of early Christianity, what kind of a difference that made. Uh, Michael Green says this, The link between holy living and effective evangelism could hardly be made more effectively. In particular, Christians stood out for their chastity, their hatred of cruelty, their civil disobedience, for good citizenship. They did not expose infants. They did not swear. They refused to have anything to do with idolatry and its byproducts. Such lives made a great impact. Even the heathen opponents of Christianity admitted as much. It's difficult to overestimate this moral emphasis in the growth of the second century Christianity. Now, that's, that's from a, a believing perspective. Uh, 
uh, a, a Princeton University sociologist. So you can imagine he, he you know, I, he may not be coming from an evangelical Bible-believing perspective. Let me just say that. Um, but he wrote this, which I, I respect him for the honesty here, in terms of the rise of Christianity in the first and second centuries. It says uh, this one who wrote, was puzzled at how a marginalized, persecuted, often uneducated group of people were able not only to survive but thrive. He concludes that a key reason was their willingness to sacrifice themselves out of love for each other and for their world. This sacrifice released an explosion of light and heat the world had never known. They became distinct by the lives they lived. I don't know about you, but... That makes me look inwardly. It makes me wonder, other than my neighbors knowing that I'm the pastor of a church, do they see a distinction in a positive way, not in a holier-than-thou way, but in a way of seeing the difference there? We've got to ask ourselves that. Further, light is seen in the Scripture as hope in a world that's searching for hope. And there's so much hopelessness by so many, even going into the new year. So many difficult things that that people have faced. And yet, in the gospel, there is absolutely and always hope. And then light spreads. That's its nature, wherever it goes. It always overcomes darkness. It's, it's not the other way around. Light comes into the room. The room does not, cannot stay dark because light will overcome it. Now, the only way actually darkness overcomes it is if you hide the light, and that brings us to the, the second part, and that is the only appropriate use of the light Look back at verse 14. Again, again, this is still the context. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Verse 15. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all the house, all in the house. That's what we were talking about earlier. In the same way, let your light shine before others. That, you know, we, we put on... Uh, you know, our little cards, that dot, 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 that's the in the same way, which would have been kind of a strange way to, to memorize this, but uh, that's what it's connected to. It's saying, you know, we've got to have put the light out there. So the only appropriate use of the light is for it to be seen. Let me give you two illustrations from Jesus. One is the appropriate use of the light. The other is the inappropriate use of the light. The appropriate, he talks about a city on a hill. Now, it's likely, commentators seem to think that uh, it's likely that when he was presenting this sermon on the hill, that he probably could have pointed to uh, some kind of a town or a, a city that everyone could have kind of turned and seen and seeing the light shining off of the, the kind of the white buildings 
over there and use that as the illustration of this, uh, this city on a hill. And then what he does is he says this. You are that city. You see how conspicuous that is over there? The city was probably put up there for protection on a hill and so on. But it could be seen from all over. And he says, that's you. You are to be conspicuous in that way. I mentioned uh, driving into St. Louis. Uh, We used to, um, when we had family in St. Louis, we would uh, leave Christmas Eve after uh, our service, and we would drive all night. I would drive all night. Uh, Connie would drive some when I, I just couldn't anymore. And the kids, you know, all four of them would be asleep in the van every direction and all over each other. But, uh, and then in the morning, we would just be getting into, uh, getting close to St. Louis when the sun would start to come up. Of course, when the sun started coming up, kids are going to wake up. What do you think they look for? Not the Eads Bridge, the Gateway Arch. And uh, by the way, at night, it's lit up. But we could see it when we were still over in Illinois, and everybody tried to be the first one to, to see the arch because we knew, okay, there it is. And under that is St. Louis, and near that is where our, our family is. Well, Jesus is saying here, look, we need to be conspicuous, so conspicuous that we can't be missed we are representing, representing the one who is, is the source of all light. I love how St. Andrew's has been called the church on the hill. That's a historic part of our, our church, and it's true. I mean, you've, one of the first things when I was uh, considering coming here, uh, the folks driving me around drove across the dam, and they said, look, over there, that's, it's the only building you can see from the dam is our church because it's up on the hill. And now we've, you know, we've got this, this beautiful building on St. Andrew's Road where we're so conspicuous. We need to make sure we're not just conspicuous for our building, though. That's not who we are. That houses who we are and what we do. But rather, we need to be seen and known in this community for the love of Christ that prevails in everything that we do here. Now, that's the appropriate way. The inappropriate way is to hide it. You don't put it under a a bushel. You don't hide the light. And there's a couple of ways we can do that. One is to live a life of inconsistencies. You can be a a true believer and live an inconsistent life. You can. It's not right. It's not an accurate reflection of who we are, but you can do that. And that diminishes, it hides the light. It's putting it under a bushel. But the other way is hiding the reason that you're living a life of purity or truth. In other words, people saying, 
yeah, you know, those people down the street, they are nice people. They're moral people. Uh, they must be Mormons or something, you know? We need to make sure people know if we are seeking to live, though imperfect, a life of consistency before the Lord, why we live it. There is a, a quote that has become popular. It kind of comes in and out of popularity by Francis uh, uh, of Assisi that, that he probably didn't actually say, but that's beside the point uh, as some have researched it. And that is uh, preach the gospel and use words if you must. Now, it sounds good, and I understand if he or someone said that what they meant. But the fact is, we must preach the gospel, and we must use words. It can't just be living a life without ever saying what our hope is in. It's in Christ. Now, look at the results of the light. Again, verse 16. Here's, here's what our desire results. So that they may see your good works and uh, give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That so that live your life in such a way, some of your versions may say. And I've got to tell you, that hit me big time this week. Ultimately, our, uh, our light is because of our union with Christ. We're not the source. He is. So it's our union with Christ that, that gives the light. And so if you're trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life, you are going to show light. But you're going to show it well or not well. And that's where this so that comes in. He's, he's saying, look, your light's going to shine out there one way or another. Make sure your light shines so that when people see what's going on, they glorify your Father. So it's not just a, a matter of them saying, what a good person you are, and slap you on the back. Or you must have had some good parents to bring you up in that way. But rather, they know, they've heard that it's because the gospel has so gripped you that that's what this is all about. And that's what it looks like to live a life in the light of Christ. That needs to be the result. I, I came across an article that uh, I want to share some parts uh, with you from. And uh, in this article, it's about a church that was informed by their local police department that uh, because of their stand, uh, what they understood as a biblical stand on uh, uh, gay issues and so on, that there was going to be a protest outside of their building on Sunday morning. The local police department just let them know. 
And the leader of the protest uh, announced this on Facebook. He said, we will meet just before the service begins and protest as they gather. We will have a silent protest as, as service is going and let them have it as they leave for the day. Remember, we'll be peaceful and respectful, something they don't understand. We're going to stand together as a community to show that our love is stronger than their hate. That's the one who is organizing the protest. Now, the pastor of the church in his blog wrote this. um, On behalf of Fire Church, by the way, that's the name of the church, Fire Church. I don't know. I'm assuming it's not Presbyterian Church in America, but, you know, who knows what kind of a, a church it is. I don't know many Presbyterian churches named Fire Church. So, But this is what he says. On behalf of Fire Church, I want to extend to you the, the warmest welcome and let you know that we are thrilled that you're, you're here with us uh, on Sunday. We've been praying for you for a long time. As always, you will only meet with love, kindness, and respect from the fire leadership and congregants. And we proclaim to you once again the amazing grace of God. Jesus died to save us from our sins, heterosexual and homosexual alike. And only in him can we find forgiveness, redemption, and transformation. Jesus alone is the healer, savior, deliverer, and transformer. And then the pastor who has a radio show said this, I also encouraged them on the radio show to come in good numbers so that we could greet them. And then he posted on their website that was calling for this protest. He says, as the pastor of Fire Church, I just want you to know that you'll be greeted with the same love and compassion as we always endeavor to show anyone you are more than welcome. Come. Uh, You make mention of the hate that we show, yet... In all our years here, we've only desired to reach out with love to everyone in the local community here, whether they're labeled as gay or straight. Hopefully, you'll see that love demonstrated on Sunday as you protest. Now, after that was posted, there was a number of uh, uh, not very nice responses, uh, skeptical and uh, about his response. But then on Sunday morning... About 10 protesters showed up. The pastor said he was disappointed with uh, so few. And some of our fire leaders met with them, offering them water and snacks, sharing God's love and truth with them, and then inviting them to join us in the service. After a few minutes, they left, explaining that we were too nice and loving to deserve a protest. Now, bear in mind, he said, that they know where we stand on this, that we have, you know, actual disagreements. They've heard his radio show and so on. Um, So they recognize that we differ. They also recognize our genuine love for them and saw that we were not full of hate. The love of Jesus flowing out of spirit-filled godly hearts makes an impact that cannot be denied. And then, uh, along with what he put on the website, he invited any of them to his house for dinner. Um, One actually took him up on it, and this is what that person said. I am beginning to see the light as very attractive. Now, that may not be what our opportunity is here, and yet 
You see what the response was? It, it was one of, of love. It was showing the genuine love of Christ to those that, are, that ordinarily would see the church and believers as adversary. And what a beautiful picture of letting your light shine before others so that they could see your good works, offering the water and the snacks and, and gentle and kind words and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So where do we begin? Well, back to our story of the Eads Bridge. Like James Buchanan Eads, we've got to capture our vision to be a bridge to the community. And if you remember when I presented Vision 2017, I said, we want to build bridges to the community, but not draw bridges, you know? Not so that we run in here and then pull up the bridge so that nobody unlike us will follow, but rather bridges where where we're going out and others are coming in and there's that free flow, a genuine bridge so that those from our community will be exposed to the light. Eads said, this bridge must be built and I need to be the one to do it. We are the bridge between Christ and, our church, and his church and your family and neighbors and friends and co-workers and other students. You're a good bridge or you're not a good bridge, but you're some kind of a bridge. Now, like Eads, you might not feel qualified. I don't want you to get hung up on that. I don't want you to think, I, I don't know how to build a bridge. I can't possibly be a, a bridge builder. Part of what we want to do this year is to equip all of us to be bridge builders. It's not complicated. It's not Tonight at, at discipleship night, at D-night, we're going to begin to talk about how to do that. I want you to watch this 70-second uh, video and uh, see what we're talking about.
I told you it's simple. That's why it's called Just Walk Across the Room, what we're looking at tonight. I hope you'll take advantage of that. It is a matter of, you are the light. If you are in Christ, you are the light. It's a matter of what kind of light we will be. You are a bridge. It's a matter of what kind of bridge you will be. And one final thing. You know what the exciting part of this is? The people who are letting their light shine are seldom dissatisfied, are seldom frustrated with the way things are going on in their faith, and they're seldom stagnant in their faith. Because the, the tendency, if, if you're walking across the room, if you're building a bridge, is you want to know more Scripture. You know, absolutely, I've got to be in prayer. I've got to be in fellowship, and you're hungry for it. And so if you find yourself at that point where you just feel like I'm stuck in the water, maybe that's part of it. And that's the beauty of letting our light shine before others so that they may see our good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. Let's bow together. Yes, Lord, we would, we would ask that you would be that fire in our hearts. You've called us the light, and I don't know about anyone else in this room. Sometimes I don't feel like that great of a, a light, and yet you've said that's what we are, and it's because we are tied in with you, the true light. And so, Lord, will you help us to have that love of Christ, be so gripped by the gospel that we can't do anything but walk across the room and tell others about it and just tell them what we know, not what we don't know, but just tell them that little bit we know. It might be once I was blind, but now I can see. Thank you, Lord. Will you take us into this year knowing our identity is the light? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond together singing.